Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Merry Christmas to everyone. The week of Christmas. Just a reminder, as you're turning to John's Gospel, chapter 11, John's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 38 through verse 44 this morning, that's the passage we're going to be looking at. That uh, Just a reminder that this coming Wednesday, the 23rd of December, and then Wednesday, the 30th of December, we will not have Wednesday services, but this coming Thursday night, Christmas Eve, we will be having our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service right here from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the auditorium. Plenty of great Christmas carols and Christmas music, and I will be delivering a short message every year. We always have the kids included as well so that all uh, everyone can be here uh, in the same room at the same time. We'll give the children some glow sticks and we'll give the adults uh, their candles and we always just have a great time on Christmas Eve. We hope that you can join us. We have uh, two weeks left today and next Sunday, the 27th, in our series on rediscovering our awe of God. To live in such a way that our awe and wonder of God keeps increasing. And we've been looking at the miraculous signs that the Apostle John has recorded in his gospel to give us, again, a greater appreciation, if you will, of who our Savior Jesus is, and even to be able to make Christmas a little bit more special, too, when we realize who it is who came as a baby in Bethlehem, born in that manger, none other than the Jesus that we're looking at here in John's Gospel. So today what we want to do is look at two things about Jesus in this passage, and hopefully each of these will help us to grow in our awe and wonder of him, our Savior. The first one is going to be the emotions of Jesus, and then we're going to look at five different exclamations that Jesus makes in this passage. But first, I want to talk about the emotions of Jesus. You'll notice in verse 38, it says, Jesus intently moved again, came to the tomb. Intensely moved. We're going to talk about that. That phrase literally means to be angry. And we're going to talk about what Jesus was angry about in a minute. But notice it says in verse 38 that Jesus was intensely moved again. So when was the first time he was intensely moved? Well, he had asked to see Mary. Because when he got to Bethany, or at the outskirts of Bethany, Martha greeted him, and he had an exchange with Martha, the other sister of Lazarus who had died, but he hadn't yet had an exchange with Mary, and so he asked to see Mary. As Mary comes up to him, the Bible says in verse 32 of John 11, she fell down at his feet, in a sense, in an attitude of worship, and the Bible says in verse 33 that when Jesus saw her weeping, grieving, and saw all the people around her weeping as well, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. And then it goes on to say that Jesus said, where have they laid him? 
And those said, around there said, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Intensely moved, greatly distressed, weeping. This is the picture of Jesus here at this moment in time. And it says two things about our Savior Jesus that should create in us a sense of awe and wonder. One is that we have a high priest, as the author of Hebrews says, who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and the things that we go through. Jesus cares. He's affected by the things that happen to us and around us. It bothers him. He gets emotional. He gets passionate. He has these passionate expressions of emotion about the things that are happening to us. Our God is not a God who is cold, who is aloof, who is distant, who is up there in heaven above it all. No, he came down to earth and is right there in the midst of it all, and he's feeling the pain of what those people are going through. And the, Jesus does the same thing today in our lives. He feels the pain of the things that we have to endure and go through. As a human being himself, he understands that human element, you see. And so I want us to understand today that our Jesus is a passionate, emotional God who truly loves and cares about each of us and enters into our times of pain and suffering and literally weeps with those who are weeping. But it says something else about our Jesus emotionally. As I shared with you, the phrase intensely moved or intensely moved in spirit in verse 33 speaks about being very angry or expressing great displeasure at something. In fact, it literally means in the original language to snort like a horse. Jesus literally was snorting like a horse. If you've ever been around a horse when it snorts because it's upset, that's intimidating. And the words here speak about Jesus especially and specifically being angry at an enemy. And what is the enemy that he's angry about? Death and the sin that's caused all this? See, we have to remember something. God never meant for any of this in his mind. He, he was hoping that he could have created Adam and Eve and put them in that perfect garden, and they would have never fallen into sin, and sin would have never been part of our life, and death would have never been part of our life. And here's Jesus now entering into to this whole thing, and he obviously knows as God what this is like, but as a human being, he's seeing the pain and, and all that's going on because of the entrance of sin and all that sin has brought on the human condition, and here's death, and he's angry at it because he never meant for it to be a part of our lives. 
And he sees the, the damage and the destruction and, and all that, that sin and death and everything that sin brings into the human condition causes us as human beings. And he's upset by it greatly. And we know also that one day God is going to literally lay aside every enemy of us and get rid of it all once and for all. And he's going to restore us again to that moment back in the garden before all this fell apart to begin with. Because if you're an enemy of Jesus, you're going down. There is no enemy that can stand up to Jesus. And Jesus is really, at this point, mad at death and all that death causes, the separation, the sadness, and all of that. And so you see the great emotions of Jesus here in this passage of Scripture. And to me, that's one of the things that draws me even closer to my God, is knowing that he's touched, that he feels, that he's affected, that he cares so deeply that it bothers him and affects him. But now I want to move from the emotions that we see here in this passage about Jesus to the five exclamations that Jesus makes here surrounding the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The first exclamation is what I'm calling paramount words of Jesus. Because the Bible then says that this tomb that Jesus was at in verse 38 was simply a cave that had a stone placed across it. The stone placed across it was to keep grave robbers out, to keep animals out, and to keep the stench of a decaying body in. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. But Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus and directs those in front of that tomb, take away the stone. Take it away. Now, it says that Martha, the sister of the deceased, says, Lord, by this time, uh, my brother's body is beginning to smell bad. Uh, he's been in there for four days now. But Jesus said, take away the stone. Why do I call those words of Jesus paramount words? Because they speak of this. They are used in that language to speak of laying a matter to rest, of, of declaring a finality to something. In other words, Jesus is basically saying here by take away the stone, I've got the final word on this condition. I'm the one that's going to define this, not death. Death doesn't have the final word. Satan doesn't have the final word, all of that. I've got the final word because I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if I want something to be done, all I have to do is say the word. I have all authority in the universe, and I'm saying that this matter is coming to an end. I'm going to bring a conclusion to this matter. It's going to be much different than any human being thought could be the conclusion of this matter, but I'm the one that has the last word, and I'm settling this. I am laying this matter to rest. 
that's paramount. That, that's words that basically are over anything else. And how great is it that you and I can know personally a God who can settle everything with his word and his will. That, that we don't have to be concerned, as we talked even about Wednesday night, does God ever leave anything to chance? Does he leave anything to a roll of the dice? No, absolutely not. There's no detail in the universe that God leaves outside of his control. And therefore, we can be so encouraged and confident and hopeful knowing that our God is not only an emotional God who enters into our pain and suffering, but our God can speak paramount words and lay any situation to rest once and for all because he's the final word. He's the final authority. <laughs> Take away the stone. I'm dealing with this in my way and in my time, and there's nothing that's going to prevent me or hindering me from doing what I'm here now to do. One more thing before we move on to the next words that Jesus exclaims here in this passage of Scripture. I also think it's important for you and I today as we enter into this passage and know that God is moving and working in each of our lives that we take away the stone. You see, God will not force himself on us or into our lives where we need some attention. What God is looking for is us taking down the barrier, pulling down the wall or the curtain or whatever that we hold up to say, nope, I'm not letting you in, God. I'm not letting anybody else in, God. I've got my walls up. I've got, I've got the stone placed across that, and I'm not letting anybody come in. That's off limits. And God is saying, but I can't work to the extent that I want to work I can't work to the depth that I want to work in your life if you don't and are not willing to take the stone away. Then you'll start to see things happen. So I'm wanting to encourage all of us at this moment in the message to consider if we've got our walls up right now, especially with God, take that down. Remove that barrier. And let God come in and begin to do what God wants to do in your life. The second exclamation is not paramount words. They are promising words. Because after Martha's objection about, well, you know, Jesus, he's been in there four days and his body's starting to smell, Jesus responds to that by saying, didn't I tell you, Martha, that if you would believe verse 40, you would see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you, didn't I promise to you earlier in our conversation here today that if you would simply trust me, have faith in me, believe in me, put your confidence in me, that you would see the glory of God? First, one other reason why we should live in greater awe and wonder of our God is because God gives us, as his people, promises. 
promises to hope in and cling to and, and latch our lives onto in all and every situation that we'll find ourselves in. He's given us promises. And all we need to do is trust in those promises and rest in those promises and hope in those promises and then know that just like he said to Martha, if you believe in me, you'll see God show up as only God can do because my glory is going to be manifested here. And that means that I'm going to do what only I can do. And as Nicole reminded us, there's nothing impossible or too hard for God. So God's going to show up. You and I want to see the glory of God. We want to be like Moses and say, God, show me your glory. We got to believe because it's amazing how God connects it to. He says, the more you trust me, the more you have faith in me, the more you believe in me, the more you'll see my glory. The more you will see me come into your church and into your life and into your community and, and, and be manifested in a way that, that God is at work and God is alive and that I'm doing what only I can do in those times and in those seasons. That's glory. Seeing God for who he really is. It is the manifestation, if you will, visibly of the majesty and splendor and holiness and greatness of our God. That's glory. Promising words. If you only believe, Martha, you'll see the glory of God. Now remember, both her and Mary, they believed to a degree. They said, both of them, Lord, if you would have been able to get here before my brother died, I know you could have prevented this from happening. So they had a level of faith. I mean, it's clear. Martha believed and, and Mary believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. They, they both declare that earlier on, okay? But like with us, God wants to take us from this level of faith or belief and raise us up to other levels as we move through our life. And they had a faith that said, well, I believe that Jesus could have healed my brother before he died, but they still aren't at the level where they believed in any way that Jesus was great enough and powerful enough to raise their brother from the dead after he died. They weren't there yet, you see. And that's why Jesus is saying, trust me. That's not too hard for me. I can do anything. And God wants that to be impressed upon our hearts and minds today. There is nothing too hard or difficult for him. And he's given us promises, precious promises. And all his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And God is saying, will you believe in me so that I can show you more of my glory? And the more we trust him and rest in him and believe in him, the more we see what God can do and only what God can do. Which then leads to the next exclamation of Jesus. And these I've entitled purposeful words. We go from paramount words to promising words to purposeful words. Because in verse 41, it says they removed then the stone, and then they see Jesus doing this. He looks upward to heaven, and he says these words, Father, I thank you that you have listened to me. 
and I knew that you always listen to me. But I'm saying these words because of the crowd that is around so that they might believe that you sent me. Purpose. Jesus isn't having this conversation with the Father out loud because he thinks that he and the Father, you know, have to communicate in that way. He's saying these words out loud because of the people around, because he wants them to come to a place where they understand that he and the Father are one, that he is here on the Father's mission, if you will, and that they are linked and aligned together in this mission that Jesus is on so that they can come to believe not only in God the Father, but in his Son, Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm saying these things out loud for this purpose, so that those around may come to believe that you sent me. Purposeful words. It reminds us that our God has a purpose for every word that he says and everything that he does. And that's true in our lives as well. And what we see here is the unfolding of a greater and grander purpose than even what those at that time could see at that moment. And that's something that, again, should fill us with awe and wonder. Whatever God is doing in your life right now isn't just for you. I hope you realize that today. Whatever God is doing, whatever work he's doing, whatever he's allowing to come into your life, whatever you're dealing with, whatever, it's not just about each of us. It's always that God has a greater purpose, that he wants to use what's happening in our life or what we're working through and what we're going through with him to be a testimony and a witness to those around us because we always have those who are looking in and listening in and who are audiences, if you will, to what's going on. And God wants us to understand that when we are partnered with him, we are always part of something much greater or bigger than ourselves. And God has a greater purpose for our life than even what we could ever see or quantify on our own. That's why it's so dangerous for us to try to measure our own life at any time in our life. Because we can only measure what we see. And God is always working in and through our life, even into other people's lives that you and I cannot see and cannot quantify, cannot wrap our minds around in any way, because he works on these invisible levels that you and I aren't privy to at all times. Purposeful words. Even in our church, we realize over and over again that God is using our church in ways that we don't realize greater, bigger purpose. And he does the same thing with your life and my life. That's how big God works. That's how big God is. Is anytime you and I are connected to him, we're connected to a whole universe out there that we can't even touch or feel most of the time purposeful words. But then we come to powerful words. Because in verse 43, it says, having said this, he shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
And the one who had died came out. The one who had breathed his last was now alive again. Don't miss that. That's power. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. In fact, one day the Bible says that all the dead of all time will hear the voice of the Son of God and come out of their graves at his command. Literally in the original, it says, he shouted with a loud, loud, loud voice. Jesus had a powerful voice just physically. I mean, think about it. Many times in his ministry, he was speaking to thousands of people without modern amplification. He didn't have a microphone like we have today. And yet there would be thousands of people on a hillside, and Jesus could teach those people, and they could hear what he was saying because he had a strong, powerful, natural voice. But there's more here than just that. When Jesus told Lazarus to come out of his grave and become alive again on this earth, that's spiritual power. And that is a power, again, that is over all other powers. And, and it reminds us that our God, Jesus, is the almighty God. And that when he declares something or says something, it has to be. Because everything in the universe, every molecule, every atom moves at the voice of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that all things in heaven and on earth were made by Jesus. So then you go back to the book of Genesis and realize that when Jesus was there at the beginning as God and began to speak forth creation, that he was bringing all of the known universe into being out of nothing. And when Jesus said, let there be light, the Bible says there was light. And the Bible says when Jesus said, let there be land, there was land. And when, there was, uh, when he said, let there be seas and oceans, that's where it was. Let there be mountains, let there be valleys. Everything was formed by the powerful word of God. And if Jesus Christ can bring forth this universe and all the stars in the sky and planets in the universe and everything that is beyond our scope of being able to even reach out and wrap our arms around how big the universe is, if Jesus Christ is powerful enough to bring all that about, do we not then think that he's powerful enough to work in our lives? Yeah. Rediscover the all and wonder of our God. He is all-powerful. And when he speaks, it happens. And God may want to speak over you today or speak into your life some way. Take away the stone and let the power of God's words come into your life and transform your thinking and your heart and, and your disposition and your attitude and all of that. Because God's powerful enough to be able to do it. Every one of us in this room today, 
that is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that there was a time in our life where we accepted Christ, do we not again remind ourselves about the power of Jesus that that moment that we turned in faith to Jesus Christ, his power took us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he transferred us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he forgave us of our sins and he seated us with the with him in the heavenly realm and he placed us forever in his kingdom and in his care that's power my friends we've all experienced it it's just sometimes in our everyday life we forget about the power of our lord jesus christ the power to speak over us to speak into us the power to speak into a situation or a circumstance or whatever and totally change the environment and the atmosphere. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing here. These people were grieving. They loved Lazarus. And it wasn't just his two sisters that loved him. He had a whole community of people that loved him and was going to miss him. And they thought, this is the end. We're never going to see him again. And Jesus says, come out. And the one who was dead came out. Finally, we not only see in this passage of Jesus' exclamations, paramount words and promising words and purposeful words and powerful words, we also see predominant words, words that should guide our life and that we should live by for the rest of our life, just like he spoke over Lazarus. Now, honestly, this next part makes me scratch my head because I'm like, how did he come out? Because the Bible says after Jesus declared those words, Lazarus come out, that Lazarus literally came out, but he was still bound with his feet and hands with these strips of cloth, his burial cloth, uh, clothes, and that he had a cloth wrapped around his face. So did he just float out of the grave? Did, did he come out like a penguin? You know, I, I, I don't know. Oh, and by the way, I digress for just a minute, but I think this is important. I used to feel sorry for Lazarus. I'm like, God, he was in heaven for four days, and then you're calling him back to earth? And now the poor guy doesn't just have to die once in his life, he's going to have to die twice. And then God said, oh, you're looking at this wrong. How many Christians, once they get to glory, would love to have a second chance to come back to earth? Because I don't think there's a Christian who's ever been alive who gets to glory and goes, I wish I'd have done less for God instead of more. I, I wish I would have been less committed and less devoted. I wish I, I, wish I would have made less of an impact and, and had less of an influence in this world for God than what I did. No, I think predominantly almost every Christian who ever goes to glory goes, oh God, now that I have seen you for who you really are with my own eyes and I've seen the glory of this place called heaven that you and I are going to you know, live in for the rest of eternity, God, give me another chance to go back. Because I promise you, my priorities and my passion for you and everything will be... See, he got a second chance to come back to earth to make a difference. 
And when we get to glory, that's what it's going to be all about is what is the difference my life made on this earth for God's kingdom and for Jesus Christ? That's what it's going to be all about. And I think because he saw the glory of God and the glory of heaven, even if it was just for four days, I think he was honored to be asked to go back into that body. It was like, God, anything you ask of me, there, there's no sacrifice or cost too great because I've seen you now. I, I know what heaven's like, and I'm willing to go back. And if it means going back and dying again and, and being persecuted and all that, I'll go back. I'll do whatever you want, God, because I've seen what's waiting for me the next time I die. And I think he was honored to go back into that human body. Because the Bible says this about Lazarus. By the way, Lazarus' name means God is my helper. God certainly was Lazarus's helper, right? The raising of Lazarus was really the linchpin to bring everything together to get Jesus on that cross. Because the Bible tells us that once Lazarus was raised from the dead, he was such a powerful witness, not just because he was alive, who used to be dead, but that he must have been one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever seen. It said floods of people were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And finally, the religious leaders of Israel said, we're going to kill Jesus and we're going to kill Lazarus. And it says from that day on, they really got serious about bringing these false charges against Jesus and putting him on that cross. What a witness Lazarus was. But notice how it started the second time for Lazarus that he was on earth. When Jesus sees him coming out with, you know, all tied up, it says, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. The words unwrap mean to release, to be set free. It reminds me of what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of John. When I set you free, you'll really be free. Jesus wants to set those that he's brought back from the dead free. You and I may not have been brought back from the physical dead by Jesus, but each of us who knows Jesus our Savior, we've been brought back from the dead spiritually, and Jesus then wants us to be free. And then he says, let him go. In other words, don't hinder him at all. Turn him loose. Turn him loose. That's what Jesus wants to do with everyone that he's brought back from the dead. He wants to set us free and turn us loose in this world so that we can bring glory and honor to him and show others the reality of Jesus in our lives every day. But here's the problem. Like Lazarus, many Christians are still tied up they're tied up and bound up with worry and anxiety. They're tied up with, with self-doubt and insecurity. They're tied, out, tied up and bound in depression and discouragement and despair. They're bound up in addiction and, 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 and so many other things, compulsion. They're bound 
They've been raised from the dead, but they're all still tied up and bound up. And Jesus wants to come into our lives and truly set us free and take those grave clothes off and turn us loose. And his power alone can do it. If Jesus brought back Lazarus from the dead, it is a miraculous sign to unbelievers and to believers that Jesus Christ has the power to change our lives. And maybe here today, whether you're watching by live stream or at some point watch this on podcast or whether you're here in this auditorium this morning, Jesus is speaking those same words over you and into your life today. I want you to be unwrapped or untied and turned loose. You see, when we understand salvation biblically, it is God literally bringing us out into a wide open space. Do you know what sin does? Sin does just the opposite. Sin begins to shrink our lives. And many of you, especially in the events of this past year, you've allowed your life to continue to shrink into smaller and smaller and smaller space. And yet God came to set you free and set you into a wide open space, an unrestricted space but you have allowed these things of the world and maybe even spiritual attacks upon your mind and heart to begin to shrink you down and and, and make your life just really small. Let the power of Jesus Christ and his word come into your life today and set you free. God is the God of miracles. And our God is a way maker who can make a way for us when even we don't see the way. Will you let God come in, take away the stone, and let him minister to you this morning? Will you stand with me in prayer? God, I ask today that we would rediscover our awe and wonder of you, God. That we would realize, Lord, how great you are, how matchless you are, how unparalleled and incomparable you are. There's no one like you, God. And you are here today with us in this room. You are here in those homes today, God, watching over live stream, God. And you are the same Jesus today that you were 2,000 years ago beside that tomb of Lazarus. And you changed the environment and the circumstance and the situation simply by coming in and saying, I'm the one that's going to have the final word here. I have all authority. I will speak into this situation, and it will obey me. And that same Jesus is here today offering to do that for each of us in our lives today. He can make a way. We need to take away the stone so that he can come in and do what only Jesus Christ can do. Remember the words of Jesus to Martha. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
Jesus is saying to each of us today and to our church today, if you would simply believe in me, you would see the glory of God. You would see me show up and do what only I can do. You would see me for who I really am, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. Oh God, may we rediscover our all in wonder of you today and allow you to speak in and speak over our lives today like never before. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask some of you today to consider this. God can work right there with you and I in, in your seat. But maybe some of you feel the Spirit calling you to come this morning and have me pray with you or, or pray for you in some way. Maybe, maybe you're not coming for yourself today. Maybe you are thinking and, and burdened for someone in your life today who is all tied up and you want to come and you want to intercede for them today and just keep praying for them that, that they will take away that stone and allow you, God, to come in and set them free. But whatever it is, I'm just asking, would you be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit and let him do a work in this place and in your home today as we sing this song about our God, a God who makes a way.